not be satisfied with money, nor he who loves wealth with his income. This also is vanity. When goods increase, they increase who eat them. And what advantage has their owner but to see them with his eyes? Sweet is the sleep of a laborer, whether he eats little or much, but the full stomach of the rich will not let him sleep. There is a grievous evil that I have seen under the sun. Riches were kept by their owner to his hurt, and these, those riches were lost in a bad venture. And he is a father of a son, but he has nothing in his hand. As he came from his mother's womb, he shall go again, naked as he came, and shall take nothing for his toil that he may carry away in his hand. This also is a grievous evil. Just as he came, so shall he go. And what gain is there to him who toils for the wind? Moreover, all his days he eats in darkness, in much vexation and sickness and anger. Behold, what I have seen to be good and fitting is to eat and drink and find enjoyment in all the toil with which one toils under the sun, the few days of his life that God has given him, for this is his lot. Everyone also to whom God has given wealth and possessions and power to enjoy them and to accept his lot and rejoice in his toil. This is the gift of God, for he will not much remember the days of his life because God keeps him occupied with joy in his heart. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Dan. Father, we come into your presence this morning. We are asking you to do something, Lord. We are asking you to, to change us, to give us eyes to see. Lord, give us eyes to see ourselves as we really are. Give us eyes to see the things that we are running after that we think are going to give us life and, and help us just to, to see you for who you are. And so often we are... We are in the rat race, and we are busy and distracted, and we begin to think thoughts of you that aren't true. We begin to think thoughts of ourselves that aren't true. And so, Lord, we ask that you would uh, free us from that. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So I just finished this week reading one of the, hands down, one of the best books I've ever read. Have y'all read The Boys in the Boat? Anybody? Raise a hand. Handful of people. Um, the Boys in the Boat, it's a true story about the 1936 Berlin Olympics, the U.S. eight-man rowing team, and it was this group of guys that were, they were University of Washington's rowing team, and so they were all, most of them were juniors in college when they got to compete in the Olympics, and it's an amazing story, but toward the end of the book is when they go to Germany, and this is Hitler's Germany pre-World War II, and so this is, he's already beginning to, to do a lot of terrible things that are just going to multiply and be magnified as, as time goes on. And there was already a, a lot of talk in the United States and other countries about, hey, this guy's dangerous and what he's doing is wrong and we need to be concerned and we need to start taking harder stances on things. And they had a very masterful um, image, I don't know what you want to call it, like a, a, a brigade of people that Hitler had hired to keep up Germany's image to the outside world during the Olympics. And so they began to move people around and, and stop doing certain things in certain areas and move them to more secretive areas. And so what happened was when people came to the Olympics to compete and to watch from all these other countries, they all left with this same message, which was, hey, we don't need to be so worried. Like what Hitler's doing over there is actually pretty great. The country is really clean, it's really efficient, people are excited, 
And, and they, they shared, one guy even said, you know, man, we could use, we should invite him over to the United States to help us run the United States, like to show us what to do. So it was this masterful illusion that bought him a lot more time coming off the heels of this Olympics experience, and people were very deceived. Uh, what was happening was not wonderful. It was not a clean and beautiful and efficient and effective. It was, it was terrible, but nobody could see it. And so what we're talking about this morning is wisdom and money. And I believe that there is a similar potential for us not being able to see behind the way that we think about money, the way that we interact with money, and what we believe it can do for us, that we can be headed down a really dangerous road without even knowing. We can be celebrating the whole way. And so that's what the Lord is, this is the Way of Wisdom series we're doing this summer. And the Lord is wanting to make us wise in the way that we think about and interact with money. And he's wanting to make us wise in order to give us life. And so this morning from this passage, three, three observations I want to look at with you. One is, the first is the illusion of enough. This idea of, of the illusion of enough. The second is this idea that the love of money makes it master. The love of money makes it master. And the, the third observation is what is good and beautiful. And so we're going to start here in verses 10 through 12 and look at this illusion of enough. Solomon says that he who loves money will not be satisfied with money, nor will he who loves wealth with his income. This also is vanity. So what is, what is the love of money? What does that look like? How do you spot that? It's probably really hard for you to spot in your own life, but just think about it. It's, it's like the love of anything. The love of money is, is being consumed with it. Your mind, your heart being consumed with it. it takes up a lot of space in your hard drive. You protect it. You serve it. You sacrifice to it. You give yourself to it. And, and Solomon says a lot of people do this looking for satisfaction. So we've got to stop and ask the question, what is satisfaction? Think about, it. Think about the greatest meal that you have ever enjoyed. And think about the feeling of eating that meal, tasting it, enjoying every bite. You realize when you've had enough, you're able to push back from the table and just sit in peace. Just rest, be at peace, and be satisfied with what you've just enjoyed. Like that, that is satisfaction, that picture. And so what Solomon is saying here is if you love money and you believe that money is going to satisfy you, you will never be satisfied. And so again, he's speaking to us here and saying, this, the love of money looking for satisfaction is foolish. This is not how you are to be wise. Why, why is that true? Some, some of y'all are probably thinking, that, I don't think that's true. I think that there's, there's an amount of money out there that if I have this amount of money and if I can do these things and avoid these other things, that that will bring satisfaction. I really believe that. And Solomon explains why this is not the case. 
Because enough is a moving target. Enough is always just one step away. It's just around the corner. I remember having a lot of interactions with folks that were asking for money. And there was one guy when I was in college that said, hey, my, my car ran out of gas. Oh, great. Where is it? Oh, it's just over this next hill. Okay, we get over the hill. Okay, where is it now? No, 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 the next hill. It's just over the next hill. There was no car. Um, just like there is no enough. There is no enough. It's always just out of reach. In Proverbs 23, 4 and 5, it says this, Do not toil to acquire wealth. Be discerning enough to desist. Know when to stop. When your eyes light on wealth, it is gone. For suddenly it sprouts wings, flying like an eagle toward heaven. What does that mean? It's, it means that whatever you think is enough is always going to be climbing higher and higher and higher. Why is that? Because when you increase your goods, as he says here, so do the worries that come with them. So do the anxieties. If I have all of this stuff, then I have all of this stuff to worry about. I have to protect it. I have to keep it. I have to worry about other people not getting it. I have to worry about other people wanting to use it and wanting some. So now all of a sudden I'm consumed with this anxiety. And he says that's why those who have these goods can only see them. They can't enjoy them. It's like saying, well, I have these things. There they are. Now back to work. All of this is just, it's always a moving target. And he says that the laborer, the person that doesn't have money, is free and he sleeps sweetly. He is the one who can find satisfaction, the guy who's not constantly thinking about money because he understands the illusion. So here's, here's a story to, to illustrate what we're talking about here. There's an investment banker from a large city. He goes on vacation to this small, relaxing beach town, fishing town. And he is, he is on the pier one day, and he is watching a fisherman come in with his haul of yellowfin tuna. And he's like, man, that's, that guy's going to make a lot of money for that. And he said, hey, how long did it take you to get those fish? He's like, not that long, man, not that long. He's like, well, why don't you go back out and get some more? Because you can make a lot of money. He's like, I don't know. You know, I just get enough for me and my family, sell some to get what we need, um, give some to my friends. And the banker said, whoa, whoa, why don't, why don't you let me help you? Because what you could do, he's like, he's like, if you're not fishing all day, what are you doing? And the guy said, I don't know. I mean, I just take naps. I take walks with my wife. I spend time with my kids. I play the guitar at night on my porch with some friends, drink wine. He's like, well, man, I, you know, if you use this time to fish more, then you could buy a bigger boat. And you could hire people to work for you on your boat. And then you could turn that big boat into a big fleet. And then instead of selling to the middleman, you could actually buy a cannery. You could control the whole process and increase your profit margins and on and on. And the guy was like, okay, then, then what? He's like, well, I don't know, 15, 20 years from now, you could probably have a company that you could take public and sell it for millions. And the fisherman said, okay, and then what? And he said, and, and then you'll have enough money to retire to a place like this and take walks with your wife and take naps and, <laughs> you know, on and on. So here's a little side note. 
If you didn't see that answer coming, <laughs> that means you need to really pay attention to what we're talking about today. <laughs> the first time I heard that, I did not see it coming. And it was true. It was evidence that I was thinking about things really wrong. So how does this apply to us? What Solomon's saying here. First, he's encouraging us to take a step back from the way that we orient ourselves toward work and toward money. And I would encourage you to actually do that this week. Take some time this week when you are able to get away and get out of the rat race, whatever that looks like for you. And spend some time asking the Lord to help you see, what are you aiming for? Especially if you were somebody, if you were in the 95% of people in this room who answers questions like, how's it going? Oh man, I'm just really busy. Just grinding, you know, just really, really having to do this, having to do that. So busy at work, always working. If you're one of those people, you really need this. And you need to take a step back and ask the Lord, hey, what am I doing this for? Will you help me see what am I really doing this for? Where, where am I looking for satisfaction in this? And it's amazing how the Lord can clear, clear out the cobwebs and clear out the confusion and help you decide whether or not you're making wise decisions. The way that you're thinking about work and money based on where you were trying to go. What are you aiming for? And another, another good test is, are you telling yourself that there is a time in the future when you will think about money differently? Are you in a season of life where money is tight today? Hey, money's tight today, but in a little while when we have enough, then we'll actually start treating money differently. We'll start thinking about money differently might start giving some. We might start giving more. We might maybe let the Lord also be the Lord over our finances too. And it's so easy to get in that place of thinking, okay, yeah, yeah, I just need to clear some things up. I need to just get to this place and then I can think differently about money. And Solomon is telling you, if, if that's where you are, that day is never coming. Like you, you are buying it hook, line, and sinker. And there's something moving, there's something that is moving this target for you. And that that's gets us to our second observation, that the love of money makes it master. There is a, a the love of money is what is always moving that target. Um, Solomon says in verse 13, there's a grievous evil that I have seen. A tragic He's saying, this is a tragedy. I look and I see this, that these people who have wealth, like that's supposed to be a gift, it's actually making their lives worse. Like that's what I have seen as I've observed people in the world. That's crazy. That should never happen. And Jesus says in, in our, one of the verses that we read in the call to worship, Matthew 6, 24, that when we love money, we're actually serving it as our master. And he warns because it's such a powerful false master. You cannot serve God in money because you will be devoted to one and you will begin to despise the other. 
If you were serving money as your master and you were looking to more money to give you satisfaction, then you will begin to resent God and how he makes demands on your time and your resources to take your full attention away from worshiping money with your whole heart. And in these verses, Solomon tells us what kind of master money is. He's saying, look, you don't want to be mastered by money. It is a cruel master. Verse 14, he says, this man whose riches actually harmed him, his riches were lost in a bad venture. There's a couple ways in which this can happen. If I'm so obsessed with money that I'm always obsessed with getting more, and I stop thinking wisely about investment opportunities. I start picking up the phone and, and calling the 1-800 number to trade my cash, trade my gold for cash. Um, but the other way, which is, is probably a little more subtle, that money changes the way that we think about things, is if we have a lot of money, it can make us think that we're actually wiser than we really are. There's a sign over at the 12 South Tap Room that I love that's in a lot of bars that says, this beer is making me awesome. <laughs> and that's money, it's like this money is making me smarter. No, it's not. But when I have money or I've had success in an area, it can make me believe that I am actually intelligent in all areas and I have great discernment in all areas. And that's not true. It is very deceptive. The next thing he says is that this man who has lost this money in a bad venture is the father of a son, but he has nothing in his hand. It is really easy to get to a place where you are telling yourself and telling everybody else that I am working this hard for my family. I am away from my kids and away from my spouse so much for their good. And that is a lie. You are working so much and you are away from them so much because you want to be. Because you need this for you. Because you are worshiping at a different altar that is asking you to sacrifice the people that you are called to be attending to the most. Verse 15 and 16, this is a, a sobering wake-up call. He says, As this man came from his mother's womb, he will go again, naked as he came. He shall take nothing for his toil that, will, that he may carry in his hand. This is also a grievous evil. Just as he came, he shall go. And what gain is there for him who toils for the wind? We are living in a world that is passing away. And when we sit at the feet of money and worship it as our master, we are, we are living in this lie that this world that we see today is all that there is. And Solomon is saying, that's, that's going to be a really rude wake-up call when you have dedicated all of your energies and all of your love and all of your focus for the here and now, and you leave this place and you realize, oh, Wow, there is so much more. And I have all of this work and all of this energy. I, I can't, I don't bring anything into the presence of God. There is no resume. There is no fancy clothing. There is nothing that I can carry that money can give me to help me when I leave this place.
And when, when we are obsessed with money and believing that it can bring satisfaction, it just crops the picture to where today is all that there is. Next year is all that there is. He says that the lover of money spends all of his days in darkness. Anxious, sick, angry, just being lost. Lost and confused, moving in the wrong direction, darkness. In the darkness about what is life all about? How do I invest my life well? How do I think about money well? Where do I find life? Where do I find purpose? And the good news is that Jesus has come to bring light into this darkness. He says, I'm the light of the world. Whoever follows me, that means whoever sits and allows me to be their Lord and master, will not walk in darkness, will not suffer the same fate as this person that we're talking about, who thought that money could give them satisfaction and actually ended up with a lifetime of anxiety and sickness and frustration. It's a, a similar thing that's happening with all the nerds. Get ready. The Lord of the Rings. Um, if you don't know what the Lord of the Rings is, then I don't know what to say to you. Um, <laughs> right now, we don't have the time. But, you know, this is like in the first book when Bilbo is, is in possession of the ring and he can't see that it's mastering him. He can't see that his, his whole life is fading away. He is becoming less human or less hobbit. Um, he, he says, I feel like butter scraped over too much toast. He can't see that he is actually becoming like this creature golem that is subhuman now because of all the time that the, the ring had mastered him. And so Gandalf comes, Gandalf the wizard, see it's nerdy. The wizard came to take the ring from him to, to save him. And when he comes and he encourages, and he knows him, they have a relationship. And when he says, Bilbo, it's time to give me the ring, Bilbo starts to say things like, it's mine. It's my own. It's my precious. What business is it of yours, what I do with my things? You want it for yourself. If I'm angry, it's your fault. His mind was so twisted by the power of this ring that had totally mastered him that he could no longer tell friend from enemy. And Gandalf becomes, makes himself big and shows his power. And he says, Bilbo Baggins, I have not come here to rob you. I have come here to help you. And that is what Jesus is doing here. Jesus is the more perfect Gandalf. He has come into our lives. And when we hear him talk about money, we are tempted to think, you, you know, you or, or your people just want me to give my money away. Well, this is my money. And Jesus is saying, I don't need your money. This is not for me. This is for you. When Jesus shows up, he never shows up to take. He always shows up to give. And so when he shows up here, in our lives around this question of money? He's saying, I'm asking you to loosen your grip on this money, not because I need it, but because I'm trying to save your life. 
And you can have a grip on that money whether you have it or don't. We're not just talking about a certain echelon of people who have achieved a certain amount of material success. I'm talking about everybody. It is so easy, no matter where we are on this spectrum of having money or not having money, it is so easy to be mastered by money and we don't even see it coming. And so why does Jesus want us to trust him? Why does he want us to loosen our grip? Where is he leading us? And that gets us to this third observation is he's leading us to what is good and beautiful. Verse 18, Solomon says, Behold, I have seen what is good and fitting. That word fitting means beautiful. Solomon is saying, after all this thought, after all this looking around, after all this study and observation, behold, listen to me. If you want to be wise, listen to what I'm about to say when it comes to money. Because I have seen the truth. I have seen what is actually good and beautiful when it comes to money. And so this is where we lean in. Because this is really what we want. We want to live a good and beautiful life. We want to find abundant life. We want to be led to places that are good and beautiful. And Solomon says this, to live in God's presence aware of his presence, aware that he has given me my life as a gift, aware that everything is a gift. Jesus, the light, is using all of my life wherever I am as it pertains to money. My having it, my not having it, he is using all of this to lead me to satisfaction in him. He is the only one that can lead us to what is good and beautiful and satisfying because what is good and beautiful and satisfying is Him. It's not a thing. It's not a place. It's not a level of attainment. It's a person. And Jesus is saying money is not evil, but it is a powerful thing. And your hearts, my heart, is susceptible to deception. And so I'm freeing you from this love of money to actually be able to enjoy life. And the thing that he says here about being able to enjoy, find joy in your work, find joy in where you are today, is this reality that what we have been striving so hard for and thinking is always just out of reach is actually something that we already have in Christ. And so what Jesus is doing is opening our eyes to the abundance that we already have. And I know it's really easy to hear this. And if you're down here on the spectrum of, I don't have very much, or I don't even think I have enough to, to get by with what I actually need, it's easy to hear this and be like, oh yeah, that's great for people that have this much, but this doesn't apply to me, and that's a lie. That means you are, you are being mastered because the reality is there is not a spot on this spectrum to where this statement, this promise, this truth does not apply to you. Jesus is saying, I don't care how much money you have today, you have enough to be satisfied and to enjoy the life that I have given you as a gift. Because there are things on all, all points on that spectrum that are hard 
and things that are good. And so everyone can literally find joy in Christ wherever you are on that spectrum. It doesn't have to wait till tomorrow. And this is possible only through the power of the Holy Spirit. Because we are so weak. I can't live like that in my own power. I can't see like that. I can't believe that in my own power. But this is exactly what Paul's talking about in his letter to the Philippian church. In 4, 12, and 13, he says this, I know the secret of being content with abundance and with lack. He knows what Jesus is talking about here. He says, I, I've been at different places all over that spectrum, and I actually know how to be content. I know how to find enjoyment. I know how to enjoy the good gifts that God has given me at every place on that spectrum. And what does he say? He says, the secret is the power of him who strengthens me. It is Jesus in me working out in his power to transform me, to make me into the person that I was meant to be. Instead of feeling like butter scraped over too much toast, instead of feeling like I'm becoming a shadow of myself because of how I'm just emptying myself serving these other masters, he's actually making me more human. He's actually bringing me to flourishing, making me more whole, more full. In verse 20, he says, he will not much remember the days of his life, a.k.a. all of the things that seem really important today that maybe I don't have, because God keeps him occupied with joy in his heart. When I am occupied with God, I am free from the spell of the ring. I am free from the clutches of the love of money. Because I was made to be dependent, but not on money. I was made to be dependent upon an awe-inspiring, awe-invoking creator of the universe who is engaging with me in a personal relationship. I think about, you know, one experience I've had, I don't know if y'all probably had similar experiences going on like a mission trip or working at a summer camp or being out in the woods or whatever it is, or maybe just growing up and not having a lot of money. But you think about these experiences just to call us back to reality. Some of the most satisfying experiences of my life were when I had nothing. I worked at a summer camp for three months, and the, in the bag that I brought with me, I had probably seven t-shirts and a few pairs of shorts and a pair of Chacos. And for lunch every day, I was eating peanut butter and honey sandwiches and having an absolute blast. I wasn't worried about anything. And there's some, you know, some of y'all naysayers out there are thinking, yeah, well, that's temporary. That's this kind of fairy tale land that you lived in for a, a little while, and then you had to get back to the real world. But what I'm saying here is not that that's necessarily the real world, but that feeling that I felt there, that experience that you have experienced in similar situations, is the real world that Jesus is calling us into. He is saying, I am the one who is able to make that a reality no matter how much money you have in your bank account. That is what I'm inviting you into. And so I want to end with this. Just get real practical, um, get back to some homework. So in this last section, 18 to 20, Solomon talks about these three weapons 
against love of money. And so I would encourage you this week as you go from this place to begin to ask the Lord how to put these things into practice if they're not already a part of your daily, weekly rhythms of life. The first is this idea of solitude and meditation. Solomon starts this little section by saying, Behold, I now know what's good and beautiful. How did he get there? He got there because he spent time with the Lord, away from the world, thinking with God, allowing God to think with him and for him. It's getting away from the rat race and allowing the word of God to wash over you and give you a new reality, bring you back to reality. So that's the first thing. The second thing is gratitude. He's saying, look, this is just eat and drink and find enjoyment. Money is not evil. Money is a gift. The ability to enjoy things is a gift from God. It's just understanding that it's a gift and it's from God. It's not yours. You don't deserve it. You didn't earn it. God has given it to you. And then it's from God. It's not to be divorced from our relationship with him. It's to be used wisely in our lives, in the lives of other people, our neighbors who, who we could bless in the way that we give. But just enjoy it. You don't have to feel guilty. Just say thank you to the Lord who is giving it. So this practice of gratitude. And the last thing is generosity. An occupied heart is a generous heart. And when the Lord occupies our hearts, we loosen our, our grip as a reaction to that. It is a natural response when I am occupied with the Lord, my grip on my stuff and my money loosens because I don't need it as much as I thought I did. And so just being able to give as he gave, being able to give as he calls us to give, that's what, you know, when we make the announcements at the end of the service every week and we talk about giving, that's what we're trying to communicate when we make that announcement is, is this very thing right here. Look, God is calling us to give, not because he needs it, but because we need it. It is the practice of physically letting go that is this discipline that is shaping our hearts. And then we get to see how God uses what we have given, and that is a blessing too. We see the life that's come from letting it go and the way that he's used it in the lives of other people. And it's just this cycle of blessing. And so solitude, meditation, gratitude, generosity. And just as we go from this place, remember that Jesus is not trying to steal from you. He's trying to give you life. He is saving your life. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for this truth. Lord, we, we cannot in our own power live out of this truth. We are too weak. We are too fickle. It is too easy to believe the lies that we believe about what money can do for us and how much we need to be satisfied. So Lord, I ask that in your power, the power of your Holy Spirit, as we, as we dwell on your word, as we continue to sing your word now, Lord, that you would do something in our hearts. Lord, that you would continue to free us Bring us to a place of freedom to where we are mastered by you and say thank you for the gift that you have given us and find joy in giving it freely. And I ask that in Jesus' name, amen.